If you'd go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning, and just for a few minutes, I'd like to cast a theme, not a vision or a mission. I think this church has a vision and a mission. It's out on the foyer. It's part of our website. It's a part of a lot of things that we do. Our mission is the Great Commission. Our vision is how do we accomplish that together. And each year I try, my habit has been as a pastor, as God's called me to ministry, to try and present a church with a theme. Last year our theme was the year of the Bible. That's not novel or profound. It was not meant to say as if we'd gotten away from it. It was to say for a concerted year we were going to remind you of the necessity to be people of the very book that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, gave us. It's inspired. It's infallible. It's authoritative. You don't go to the Bible to find God's Word. You open it up and it is God's Word. For 2017, I would like to present to Calvary Baptist Church that this year our theme would be holiness. Pursuing our calling. Our calling. And this graphic you're going to see everywhere. It'll be on our website. It'll be in the MailChimp things that we send out. It'll be a part of everything that we do. By God's grace and His strength, I plan to spit this saying out so much, you'll be so sick of me by December 31st of this year, if God gives it, that I will laugh like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons and just go, excellent, excellent. I just want to drive it home over and over and over again that we are called to be a holy people, and that is our calling. We are to pursue that calling. But (laughs) the obvious question for you as you're sitting there, besides bewilderment of my knowledge of the Simpsons, is how? How do we as a church family not just survive being with each other, but thrive by being with each other? Believe it or not, in just 11 days... Debbie and I will celebrate our second anniversary with you as church family. It'll be two years on January 12th that we drove back into the city of our childhood and joined you as our family. Man, two years. It just went. The older I get, the faster the clocks seem to twirl. We've seen so many things. But over these last two years, I do hope that you've heard me say over and over and over again that the two litmus tests of Jesus to prove we are Christians and to prove that Jesus is God is actually found in John 13, 35, where Jesus says in 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. We are called to love one another. And that's a big enough commandment. But in verse 35, he says, by this, your love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. So if we want our families, our extended families, if we want our neighborhoods, if we want this city, if we want this province to know that this collection of people is not just a more conservative Lions Club or not just a group of religious people that have found a philosophy that works for us, we want this city, we want our families, our neighbors and our neighborhoods to know these people really are followers of Jesus, then the way we do that is the way we love each other. Now that's not some Hollywood goo love. That's a profound love. 
A love where we speak truth to each other. A love that when we fail each other, we admit it. We own it. A love that we chase after each other even when we screw up. Me or you or us. It's a love that is, you know, Solomon said, better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. See, love in Christ is not some gooey thing where I won't ever say anything to you and you don't ever say anything to me. We don't dare risk hurting each other or offending each other. That's not love. That's a fairy tale. Real love has bumps and bruises, scars and wounds. And you're reminded of how much someone or a group of people care for you. And this proves that we are followers of Christ. The second litmus test is actually found in John 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer. Because in John 17, verse 23, he says, I in them and you in me, and here's why, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me. So you see, our love for each other proves we're really followers of Christ. Our unity with each other proves that Jesus is God. Now again, this is not some uniformity where as long as you like what I like and I like what you like and my opinion matters and your opinion, which I always find fascinating with the world is as long as what I get to do, what I want to do and I don't hurt anybody else and then everybody just gets along. That's impossible. That's why one of my dearest friends has once preached what it is for a church to be getting together and he said it's like the porcupine dance. Because if you've ever watched porcupines mate, It's carefully. And sometimes in Christianity, it can feel like we're doing the porcupine dance. Because we're prickly. Hence why again Solomon says, as iron sharpens iron, so does a man the countenance of his friend. One of the ways we find real unity around the Word of God and the Gospel is we actually got to rub up against each other and mostly rub up against the Word of God. Okay? So last year we focused on reading the Bible. And that's something I want us to do every year. This year, I'd like to ask us, invite us, challenge us, charge us to focus on holiness. Now, I'm not talking about some abstract idea of holiness. I'm not talking about theory, but actually what it means to pursue our calling to be holy. So on January 1st of 2000. In 17, in fact, if I was saying it right, I would say in the year of our Lord, 2017, 1 Peter chapter 1 explains what it actually means to do this. And I pray that you will join me, that you and I and us together, by God's grace, we will walk through the gospel of John. Starting next week, we get back to John chapter 1, and we're going to launch into that. And by God's grace, for however many Sundays God gives me life, strength, and ability to stand in this pulpit, I plan to just walk through John over and over and again. And every time and in every passage, my pursuit is going to be to point out in every passage of John where we're supposed to pursue holy. I plan to post articles, write blogs, and remind us and teach us and point us to that in every area of life that we are called, we are promised to be empowered, and we're transformed by Christ to be like Him. Tim Keller tweeted out this past week, I loved it, we are not saved by living according to Jesus' words. That's religion. But by faith in what He has done. 
This is your calling. Now he says, yet anyone saved by what he has done will always want to do what he says. You can't have one without the other. We are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. And again, I've tried to teach my sons and my daughter. I've tried to teach. That is the essence of marriage. I try to teach my two sons all the time. If I say to Debbie, I love you and I'm committed to you, and then I walk out and cheat on her, the fact that I wear a wedding ring means nothing. If I'm in love with her, it is borne out in my response to her and my faithfulness to her. E- even, even when it hurts. Even when it costs. Even when it's not convenient. Even when it's not easy. Because Jesus has promised to do that for you and I. And I want us this year to really think about that. You see, Calvary, we've just seen another year go by. And I would submit to you that our presence here in this building this morning and with each other is actually proof of God's grace and mercy yet again. You realize that none of you got here and it was just like a fluke. The fact that you're here safely is God's abundant grace. And today, very briefly, I want us to consider four ideas. Four ideas very quickly. Review and reflect on January 1st, the day of resolutions. Let's review and reflect. Let's consider time. Let's indeed resolve. And then let us pursue. And we'll culminate at the table of the Lord. You'll see this all through 1 Peter chapter 1. And it's something many of you have already done last night and this morning. You got up or you sat somewhere last night. We, we do all do it, don't we? Every one of us does it. We, on big, big days like January 1st, the beginning of a year, it can be on a birthday, maybe the first day of the school year, or the first day of summer, or the first day of a job, or, or whatever it is, some event that you think is a first, and you go, okay, i got to think now, i got to look over my shoulder, i got to take stock of my life, i got to evaluate my decisions, i got to think about where we've come from, or where I'm going, or how I got there, and sometimes... Actually, to be honest, we probably don't do this enough, do we? Stop and think about our actions. We get so caught up in the present that we have a very short-term memory or we start to define the past by our present. We have cliches too, don't we, in church? Let's be honest. For those of you that are maybe new to church, I want, you to, be, I want to be honest with you. And I want you to know sometimes we have our own language and our own set of cliches and all this type of thing. Like, count your blessings. Count your blessings. Who does that for real? We have things like, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Why did he cut me off? And we instantly gravitate to complaint and cynicism and bitterness. Oh, and we also have this one too. The world has a few sayings. The one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. Did you know Paul talked about this? If you want to sometime this afternoon between your turkey dinner and all that, go read 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
Make note of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul instructs the Corinthian church to remember and learn from the past in negative terms. He says, go back and look at Israel. Look at this nation that had the whole world. God passed them everything and they still screwed it up. And he says, now learn from that. Don't do what folks have done in the past, but in 1 Thessalonians 4, where I counted everything, give thanks, Paul tells us to be thankful by remembering what God has done. In fact, this table is not going to be just the last form of our liturgy this morning. It will be filled with the idea of looking back to be thankful, and in in doing that, you will be motivated to action in our present and hope-filled for the future regardless of what your future looks to, because ultimately your future is secure. Right, church? Oh, where is Mary Benedict when I need her? Is your future secure? All right, just check him. Now, let me just review and reflect for just a few moments. In two years, 24 months together, our church has gone from 24 members to 60. In 24 months. And I think that that's just amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We've seen our average attendance be 94 people in 2016. That was our average attendance for the year. 94 people. There are 96 seats in this room and foyer combined. And that was our average attendance. In the last couple of years, we've gotten a bigger parking lot. With that becomes more maintenance and use of this particular building. We've had to add TV screens and cram as many chairs as we can into this room and then cram some more downstairs. We've been blessed by so many new folks that had, and with it has come both the blessings and the challenges. More folks means being closer together and less room for you and your personal space. I can see some of you doing this as you're sitting in your chairs. That's why one of the perks of being the pastor, I get up here and I got lots of room. My personal space is not invaded up here, okay? We've seen all of those challenges. And maybe you've had some of those awkward moments. Maybe there's been longer lineups at the bathroom door. Maybe you've had to um, introduce yourself to someone only to find out they've been coming to church for quite some time. Hey, how are you? Are you new to the church? No, I've been here since last January. Whoops, sorry, foot, mouth, right? Maybe you have forgotten the name or you've wondered whose child is that? Maybe you felt completely out of the loop because the church has grown and changed so much. But by God's amazing grace, we have forged new relationships with more churches and church leaders in this city than ever before. I need you to know that much of my week, sometimes 10 to 20 hours of my week are involved in having coffees and lunches, prayer times and weekly gatherings that are normal and regular for me to gather with other pastors from other churches all across this city. I want you to know, Calvary, that our church is known more locally and abroad than ever before. Folks are coming to us. They're looking to us for help and for counsel and for advice and for partnership. I want you to know that counseling, as in my own pastoral counseling, I've never done more counseling in my pastoral life than I'm doing right now. But with that, relationships are at an all-time high. 
I'm getting to know people and you have an opportunity to get to know people better than ever. Our life groups are moving ahead. The next generation of our church is more involved. We're seeing more and more interest in our city to check out this little family and our little Lego block on our little hill. And God's still on His throne. Now, we are not without our challenges. As I've said, with rapid growth comes awkward changes. A sudden influx of new people means new ideas and new expectations, new ways to serve and express ourselves, and it's easy to get lost in the shuffle or to assume about folks or to think that you know what's happening only to be shocked when you found out it went this way instead of that way because you weren't in the know. We've increased our need more than ever for bigger and better facilities, but also with that comes bigger and better opinions on how to do it. We see God working, but we're all tempted to be like Peter, open our mouths before we engage our heart or submit more to God's will and not ours. Because remember Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration? When Jesus is transfigured and Moses and and all of them show up and, and everything, and what's Peter's like? Yeah, let's build some temples and never leave here. And Jesus has to say to Peter, in the vernacular of today, you moron, this is not my plan. And so we need to understand that this can happen to us too. As I said at the beginning of this service in our announcement time, we've seen our givings increase, both regular and over and above offerings. But listen, Calvary, we've seen souls get saved in 2016. Amen? People were clutched on on their way to hell, and the gospel of Jesus rescued them for eternity. How do you put a price tag on that? How do you not get excited? We've seen guys come to Jesus Christ and get baptized. We, we had Lucas and Kevin get baptized. And very different guys with very different testimonies, both praising the very same precious Savior. Yet we've seen others struggled. Some have drifted away. Some in our church have had horrific years personally. Some have struggled financially or with life. That's all part of being a church, of being a group of people doing life together in close proximity. But Calvary, we've also tried to launch both a vision and a mission for us as a church family here at Calvary Baptist. We've talked about the obvious, which is building a new church. We have to do that. That's not now a pie-in-the-sky wish where we can just all feel good about ourselves or pat ourselves on the back. We actually can go to God and say, Lord, we need a better facility. And I really want to ask you, would you pray that? Would you pray it every day? This is what we need. But we also need to be renovated and expanded spiritually too, don't we? We also want to see the church built, not just a church built. We want to see the kingdom of God lifted up. We want to see more churches established in St. John's and Newfoundland and Canada and around the world. In fact, if you've ever read the book by John Piper, Let the Nations Be Glad, let me really encourage you. But he was greatly influenced by a guy named Ralph Winter. And so Calvary, understand our role in 2017. Evangelism is the church growing where it is. That's evangelism. Every one of you is called to present yourselves a living sacrifice to your extended family and your neighbors and your co-workers and your fellow students and all of these things. Show them, evangelize them, tell them about Jesus. But mission is the church going where it isn't. 
That's mission. That's why we want to see other churches established and planted because you realize there's not a lot of church in this province. There's just not. Again, there are only 70-odd churches total in the St. John's area. But there's 220 to 250,000 human souls. If everybody, if every church that's in this area opened its doors this morning and every one of them was filled to capacity, not 10% of this city could go to church. Think on that. So to me, this church, listen, I don't care if there's 70 or 80 of you here this morning. I don't care that we average 94. Listen, let's average 135 because let's get 30 more souls saved for Jesus. Amen? Because you know what? If you get excited about Jesus, you won't mind being a little awkward. And then God maybe expedites the new building even more. So please, nobody say, well, I'll take a time out till I have the new facilities and then I'll start evangelizing. Because you won't. That's like the, the resolution of once life doesn't give me any obstacles, then I'll lose weight. Which, by the way, is one of my resolutions. And yes, pray for me. John Hancock has agreed to be my second portion of the Holy Spirit this year when it comes to that. So maybe you should all pray for John. He has a monumental task ahead of him. My good friend Scotty Smith who I sent to you a prayer of his. I love this guy and his gift. He says this, Some trust in horses and chariots. Some rely on resolutions and rededications. But our hope is built on nothing less, more, other than Jesus. That's what I'm asking us to do, is to pursue our calling. But we do this with reflection and review, and then comes with a sense of time. Last night and today, from the oldest to the youngest, we all become aware of the passing of time, don't we? That's why Steve and I picked this video to show you that the time is now. But some of us maybe feel more like this particular poem, which I found this week. One day, I saw a gray hair in my head. I plucked it out when thus to me it said, Think if thou wilt that thou art rid of me. I've twenty friends who soon will mock at thee. Time marches on. It slows for no one. It's 2017. Time is passing us by. Paul says in Ephesians 5, redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Do I really have to convince you of that? We will all have to get used to putting 2017 on the things we now date. And it will remind us that time is passing. But time is also meant to help us and comfort us and challenge. That's why people said time heals all wounds. Solomon told his young audience, and for you young people, from the youngest of you to the oldest of you, but remember the young people, Solomon said, seek God in your youth. Don't wait till you get done school. Don't wait till you graduate. Don't wait till you get done university. Say, then I'll find God because you'll find another reason not to. Seek Him now in your youth. And don't let anyone despise your youth. David told seniors to pass wisdom on to the generation following them. Paul tells us to make wise choices with our time. Jesus promised that at the appropriate time He would come back and make all things new. Which means... If you've reflected and reviewed, 
And if you are aware of time, then we must resolve to do something and then pursue what is right. Amen? All right, you're a little better. And that's what 1 Peter 1 is all about. I'm not going to, I'm almost done. I just want to read this chapter to you. As I read through it, I'm going to make a few observations of reflect, review, time, resolve, and pursue. So take your Bible and let's look at it. I think it's a fitting chapter for me to read as we set up the Lord's table. As we think about this year being the year of holiness, where we're going to pursue our calling in places and ways we've never done it. Peter says in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, writing to the church, writing to predominantly a Jewish church that's been what's called the diaspora. They've been dispersed because of persecution. They were comfortable. They were really comfortable. They had the numbers. They were a mega church in Jerusalem. They had thousands in attendance. That gets attention. But now because of persecution, they've been spread everywhere. And now they're in little houses and little gatherings. And maybe they feel insignificant. Any of that sound familiar? I've been here for two years. This is my home province. The, the smells here and the street names and everything about this city are familiar to me. But do you know how many times I've driven up to Signal Hill and bawled my eyes out and felt the size of a peanut looking at this city wondering, Lord, what am I doing here? What, what, what possible thing do I have to give to this city? The task seems so big and me so small. And yet, Peter writes to this church that felt exactly the same way. And he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, because he wants to establish who he is. He's telling them, listen, I've been with Jesus. I'm not telling you stuff now secondhand or, or thirdhand. I'm not telling. You know, you know the hair club for men when the guys say, I'm not just a salesman, I'm also a client? All right? Peter's saying, listen, I've been with Jesus. I'm not telling you this as someone now who's just being a windbag. I've been with him. And then he says, to those who are, Lotus, elect exiles. I want to get a t-shirt made with that. I want to get Steve to find me a way to get a t-shirt and just says, elect exile. And I want to walk around and see how many people go, what the heck does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you all about it. It's going to be my evangelism strategy for 2017. He says, to those of you that are the elect exiles, you're the elected misfits. You're the ones that stick out of the dispersion and notice in Pontius and Galatian, Cappadocia and Asia and Pythia. And Peter says, starts by reminding or calling his audience to remember. Notice what he says. To the elect exiles, listen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So you are this and this was God's will. Guess what? None of you are here. And Jesus was like, oh, stink. One of you got away from me. Like, I never meant for you to be there. I meant for you to be here. God's bigger than that. You're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. God wants you here. He says, to the elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, notice, in the sanctification of the Spirit, in other words, the Holy Spirit is doing a work on you. Now, why is He doing all that? For obedience to Jesus Christ. So that's your purpose. And for sprinkling with his blood. And then he says, listen, so to accomplish all of this, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Because you're never pulling this off without your Savior. You'll never do this in your own strength. Now watch what he does in verse 3. He gives thanks. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now notice he counts his blessings according to his great mercy. Okay. 
So this is what Jesus has done according to the great, great mercy. He's caused us to be born again, not only born again, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Church, understand, this is the power of the gospel. That's why this should mean something to you today. It, you didn't just get born again. You're not just converted. You can't just say, well, I'm saved. Well, what are you saved? What are you hoping? Because Jesus rose from the dead, I know I will. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. And notice what he says next. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. How many of you parents gave gifts to your kids and it's not a week later and they're already broken? Or your child is already sick of it? Or your child played more with the box of said gift than the gift of said gift? Because all these other gifts do fade. They do break. But the gospel is something that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Notice, kept in heaven for you. God watches over your gift of the gospel. So no one can take it away who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. That's the promise of the gospel. So Peter says, I want you to reflect and I want you to review on the, the power of the gospel and the promise of the gospel. I want you to think about what you have. And oh, Calvary, that in 2017, we would think about what we have and think less about what we want or what we think will make us happy. Notice what he says next. In this you rejoice. You rejoice in the power of the gospel and you rejoice in the promise of the gospel. Now, now he gets real. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Can I get a witness? That we've had some various trials. In some ways, 2016 was a year I can't wait to flush down the toilet. But then he says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, now catch this, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, some of you might say right now, Pastor Steve, you don't know what I have gone through or what I'm going through. You have no idea what I'm about to go through. And you may be absolutely right, but I know the one who does know what you're going through or what you've been through or what you may have to go through. And he will never leave you. And if you will cling to him, one day, it won't be just an old nostalgic southern gospel hit, but you'll actually believe we'll understand it better by and by. Because God's on his throne. This is what Peter says. Because then he gives you, gives you the motivation for this. He goes, you, 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 you may be going through this suffering and your faith may be tested and all this, but he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. <laughs> I'd love to put that on an envelope and get you all to write yes or no. I have never seen Jesus, ever. I only see that effeminate version of Jesus that most of the painters want to do, right? The guy with the real pale, nice skin and the soft, blowy, long hair doesn't really look like a carpenter's son. I've never seen him, but I can't tell you this. I love him, and I need him, 
and I want him. And I can't make sense of life without him. And I'm not afraid to tell you that. And when I have been so low, I had to reach up to touch bottom. He was right next to me. He's never left me. People ask me all the time if I ever doubted my salvation. And the truth is, the only answer I can give you is never. I have never, ever doubted my salvation. And that's not because I'm spiritual. It's because I've tried everything to run from him, and he doesn't let me go. I have run from Jesus in more ways than I can possibly describe, and he always runs me down. And as I get older, I realize that it's an act of love. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And not only that, here's how you know if that's true. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. When was the last time you were just like, and someone said, are you passing gas? And you went, no, I just got joy I can't get out. Because too many people in church look like they need to go to the bathroom. Instead of rejoicing in Christ. And in the words of Matt Chandler, if you watch the Babylon Bee, are you tracking with me? All right. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And here's why. Obtaining to the outcome of your faith and the salvation of your souls. <laughs> you see, maybe Peter's thinking about John 13, 35 and John 17, 23. But is this true of us? Will this be true of Calvary Baptist in 2017? That we are so in love with the one we haven't seen, though we now don't see him, we believe in him, and we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Look at verse 10. He says, now concerning this salvation, and he gives you a history lesson, and he wants you to realize how special you are. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. Do you realize this is Hebrews 12? Because we're encompassed with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us run the race that is set before us and let us put away the sin and the weight that has easily beset us. Because these people believed on far less truth than you and I have. And they believed in it. Stop and think of those who have gone before you that have played a part in making you who you are. Who? Those who have pointed you to Jesus. Those who have been an example to you. For me, it's people you've never heard of. It's a lady by the name of Amy Pike from Harbor Grace, Newfoundland, who played the organ in Little Baptist Church, whose husband wasn't saved, whose family fell apart, and she died a slow death from cancer, and never once did she doubt her Savior. And I saw her hours before she died, when I was about to be engaged to my wife, and she grabbed my hand and said, Stephen, let me tell you something. You give God the glory in all you do, and in all you do glorify God. And then she died. And I can still smell her perfume. I can still see her play the organ. 
It's a guy by the name of Mr. Anderson Sr., who was the postmaster down in Mount Pearl, who had a heart condition and couldn't help at the church we were building just up the street. One day I had to go back because I had forgotten tools and he was there and he was cleaning up after everybody else that had been there for all the glory and all the lunches and everything. He was there all by himself just sweeping up sawdust, picking up little pieces of wood. And I walked in and I said, Mr. Anderson, what are you doing? You're like one of the most influential men in our church. He's like, Steve, all I can do is sweep up and make sure the place is ready for construction the next day. But I do it for God. And then he told me words I've never forgotten. Stephen, as you live life, you'll come across all kinds of people. And I want you to learn whatever you can from every one of them. And whatever is bad, you give that to Jesus. And at almost 45, I'm starting to figure that out. But he told me that when I was 17. It's people like my dad who's 72 years old and pastors a church of 25 in literally no name Nova Scotia. You, it's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. And he loves to get up and serve Jesus. Who, who are your witnesses? Who are the people that have prayed for you and given you that profound piece of advice? What's that voice that haunts you to say, no, 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 that's not the right thing to do. That's not the right thing to do. We've been called. He says, look, you've been resolved. Now look at verse 13. He says, therefore, based on what I have said in verses 1 to 13, respond. He goes, preparing your mind for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Prepare. Be serious. Set your hope. What a call for 2017. There's your motto. Prepare yourselves. Be serious and set your hope. And then he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, not some of it, Not most of it, all of it. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And then he prays for them. And he tells them to pray. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deed, then conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And then he says, pursue and and apply the gospel, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ that is of the Lamb without blemish or spot. And we're right back to communion. And then in verse 20, he puts it all into God's plan and perspective. He, Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Why? So that your hope and faith are in God. And as a result of that, you and I in 2017, having purified your souls, how? By your obedience, what? To the truth, how? With a sincere brotherly love, and that's the result of that, love one another earnestly. From a fake heart. So a couple of you got it. From a pure heart. And then he says, since you've been born again, not of perishable speed, but of imperishable. Do you see the recurring themes here? 
Though the living and abiding word of God, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And then he ends the chapter, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Is that your good news? You see, let me close with this, and then I'm going to ask our elders to come. I've said this saying before. In fact, Bev and I grew up together. Bev Lamswood and I grew up together, and she's heard this saying before as well. I heard this in my Christian school days. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's a great statement. And in some ways, it's true. But how you go about this can be wrong. So I've flipped it around a little bit. Only one life will soon be passed. Only responding to what Christ has done for you will last and be worth it. Because you don't do it in your strength or you'll get tired of it. You respond to Christ. So why not, Calvary, engage your heart, mind, soul, and spirit in communion and with each other this day because Jesus is our Messiah.